An industry under pressure. Innovation in its finest hour. This is the Oil & Gas Technology Podcast, where sharp minds reveal the brilliance and sheer determination turning great ideas into new realities. Hear about how it happens in real life with your host, Michael O'Sullivan. The views of the host are expressly his own and should not be construed as the views of any other corporation, consortium, governing body, or interplanetary federation. Hey everyone, welcome back to another brain-tickling episode of the Oil & Gas Tech Podcast brought to you by the good folks at Cognite right here on the Oil & Gas Global Net. Did I just, did I just say brain-tickling? I got to talk to the guy who writes my adjectives because that one's a little bit out there. We got to get, <laughs> it's brain-tickling. So those of you regular listeners know I always try to put an interesting adjective in the middle there and that one that one, I got I to gotta talk to my writer about that one. Okay, moving on. We do love our sponsors. I mentioned Cognite, and we have sponsors at OGGN, and we love them because they are the ones that make these programs possible. I mean, really, they like without them, there is no us. And without us, you would have to you know, find some other place for all of this excellent content, and there isn't one. So thanks to Cognite for helping us out. Also, if you're not familiar with Cognite, they're doing some amazing things with industrial data. So, and I'll say a little bit more about that later, but if you're not familiar, have a look, Cognite.com. I do have a couple of great guests today. Before we get to them, I have to do my regular begging and pleading for some reviews. Get out there on your podcast platform, leave us some reviews, good reviews, bad reviews, any reviews. It's a great way to tell us, you know, what you like, what you don't like. And if you do like it, then, you know, other people will know that it's worth their time. And if you don't like it, then just leave us a bad review and tell us what we ought to be doing differently. But please, please do that. And also, I should mention that in addition to this and all your other favorite OGGM podcasts, we have new podcasts that we're launching. If you tuned into our Here and Now event a couple of weeks ago, you found you, you heard about a bunch of new ones. We also are launching new monthly live stream programs. A lot going on there. So have a look at that. Without further ado, we'll get to our to our guests here, both both of whom are joining joining us from Lisbon, Portugal, as opposed to whatever other Lisbons might be out there. And we were just comparing the weather in Houston and the weather in Lisbon, and it sounds like we're both having beautiful weather. So so we got that going for us. I have Mr. Marco Faraz and Mr. Roland Mugli. And let me do a little, we'll do a little intro on these guys first before we get started. Marco, I know that you're the head of Upstream at a company called Galp. And you've been there for several years. I know eight or nine years and you're a geologist, I think, by background. So what, what else? What else would you like to say about yourself? First of all, thank you for having us. Yes, I'm the head of Stream Innovation at Galp. My background, I'm a geologist, born and raised did a PhD in geology as well in Australia and then went all the way back to Portugal and joined GALP about nine years ago. Um, worked as a reservoir geologist for the, the past few years and recently joined the innovation team, being responsible for the upstream area because this new innovation team is basically divided in our business unit. So being an integrated energy company, our business units are upstream, midstream, downstream, and of course, renewables, that it's something that it's coming along. Excellent. Excellent. Good. Okay. Thank you. You mentioned some interesting things in there that I want to come back to in a bit, but but Roland, I know that same company, Galp, 
And I think I remember you are the director of global exploration, and you've also been with the company for maybe even a few more years than that, along with some other operators. And, and I know you've worked in different regions around the world, and I think you're, you've got the geophysics background, right? So what else? Did I get that right? Well, you, you said everything already, actually, Mike. That's it, we're finished. We'll move on to the next <laughs> No, I, absolutely. I mean, actually, I joined the oil industry in the early 90s and, and work in different countries, Middle East, North Sea, and Southeast Asia. And then I, had, I joined GALP about 11 years ago and, and was lucky to actually help build up the exploration organization and the geoscience organization behind that. And it has been a great, a great time. Up to now. It's probably, there's probably a lot of packed into that word great because I know the world of, of exploration has seen interesting times the last several years. Maybe we should start with, let's talk a little bit about GALP and, you know, just, just quickly, and maybe not everybody, I mean, I, I of course know who GALP is because I looked it up on Wikipedia before we, before we did this, but, but <laughs> that's not true, but everybody may not be familiar. So tell us, tell us one of you guys or both of you tell us about GALP. Yeah, sure. I can start. So basically, we are an integrated energy company. GALPS is actually more than 150 years now. Um, not the, the GALP brand itself, but the, the company itself at some, some time now. We are Portuguese-based, We are, but we are present in 11 countries. It's a significant company with more than 6,000 employees. And one of the treasures of GALP, I think, is that has more than 50 nationalities. It's a company that it's on the Dow Jones Sustainability Index. Our, like I said previously, we work in the entire energy value chain with the, the upstream business coming along, also with the midstream where we, we have refineries and also the commercial that it's something that the public sees with more than 1,000 gas stations in Portugal, which you say is not much, but for a country that's it's half the size of California. It's, it's yeah. that's significant. That's quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It just as you were describing that, you almost you, you kind of almost sound like the ExxonMobil of Portugal, maybe, right? Because we well, have the same the same sort of thing place. here. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We look around and we see ExxonMobil gas stations, but we also see their refineries. You know, here in Houston we can see their refineries out there, out there in Bat Baytown and, and Pasadena. And of course we also can see their headquarters up in the woodlands where they have all the people doing all the smart things. And so, I mean, it sounds like a very similar, you're really spread out throughout, you're operating throughout the entire value chain of the yeah. industry, right? Yeah, precisely. And most recently, we addressed the renewable energies and we are operating solar energy in Iberia, which is also very significant to us. And it has been a, a quite good challenge in the past couple of years. That might be where the analogy ends right there, but, <laughs> but, but yeah. okay. So anything else that we want to mention about, about the company before we get into this cool thing that you're doing? No, I would say just our presence in Brazil and our focus on the Brazilian pre-salt, which is something that on an exploration point of view is very challenging. And of course, a very resilient portfolio, more than 45 projects. But I, I would leave that to Roland. Yeah, no, I, I, just to, yeah, to, for the global footprint, we have, as Marcus said, I think our key key area is Brazil. We have most of the production there, but we are also in Angola, where we have production, and Mozambique, which was actually a discovery, big gas discoveries in the, after around 2012, multi-TCF, it's like a mini Qatar, or actually Qatar-sized discoveries, which we're looking at from a LNG point of view. And those are what we call them like the three three core areas, but Brazil is the biggest one in terms of production. 
And then we do have our exploration assets in Santa Tomé and in, in Namibia, two additional countries, but Brazil itself also has, Brazil. A, has a lot of exploration we are, we are pursuing. Yeah, you mentioned, so I think, Marco, you mentioned pre-salt in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not anything like a geoscientist, but if I'm not mistaken, I do believe that some of our ability to even work in pre-salt right now, just in the last few, has, few years, has been made possible by some of the computing capabilities that we have now that we didn't have before, right? Because once you get underneath that salt, you know, historically it was very, we didn't really have a means, you know, the seismic gets all wonky, right? Once you get through there and, and we didn't really have the, the kind of computing power. If I'm, I'm going out, I'm getting in way out of sight of my depth, <laughs> but we have had seen dramatic abilities to explore those areas much more effectively now than we had before, right? Is that, isn't that correct? No, is it not correct? <laughs> no, it, I can't show you on my side. As I said, I worked as a reservoir geologist and my key area was the Brazilian pre-salt. And when you looked at that seismic and compared the, the latest seismic with the first versions of, of the seismic itself, it was quite challenging, the first data that we had. And also, also when you, you, you compare that to other areas like Mozambique, like Roland said, it's clearly very challenging. So basically, you know, on, on softwares, if you want to, to use auto-tracking and stuff like that, it's not possible. You actually need to be an experienced interpreter and drive it yourself there. And I always said to the junior geologists, pre-salt is just, you know, driving in a very dark night without headlights and it's foggy in the end. So, yeah. but uh, it's very challenging. And, I, you know, when we were in some forums with other geologists and they would know that we were working in the pre-salt, they, they would be very excited to, to talk to us about that because it's very challenging. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But you're right, Mike. I mean, the seismic has indeed really, really improved is the technology, but also the computing power, right? To be able to process these tera and terabytes of data is what that gives you is essentially is much better resolution of the subsurface. And, and you can see this happening. You know, we, we went from, you know, simple 3D seismic, and then you go into more the wide azimuth type of seismic. And then the latest now, which is becoming industry standard, is, is you know, node, node acquisition, right, where, right. where you really get amazing, amazing resolutions. But all that comes at cost of a lot of data you generate. I mean... They're a little bit more than those floppy disks we talked about before. Yeah, we were. <laughs> and, oh, yeah, and, that was in our. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> a little bit, a little, a little bit more than a floppy disk. Yes. Absolutely, <laughs> but it's amazing uh, progress in technology, and and it's absolutely mind-boggling what you actually can do when you get the really good good data and the resolution below. And I think it's also worth mentioning we do operate in water depths of you know, more than two and a half kilometers water depths. These are Gulp is involved in the you know. Really, all, all of these developments are deep water developments with many FPSOs involved. And it's, it's managing the best model in the subsurface to really optimize your costs in that kind of environment. Yeah, that's it. And we're dealing with the amount of data and computing power that it takes to, to do all that now. You know, we just, it wasn't that we didn't understand the math or the science before. You just couldn't, you just didn't have it, that kind of capability. Also, just in, case, just in case anybody out there is wondering, we had in our little pre-game chat here, we were playing that game of how far back can you remember? And we were well into the five and a quarter inch floppy disk range, uh, <laughs> on our, how far back we go. So so anyway, that should give you comfort that this is these are guys who have, they know what they're talking about. They've seen a lot of stuff. So 
You're both in exploration, but you've mentioned renewables. You mentioned, we talked, I think we're going to talk about how some of this stuff is applicable in other areas. And by the way, we are, what we're, what we're getting to here is some really interesting technology that Gallup has been developing in conjunction with our friends at IBM. But let's just pause for a second, because I have to tell you, on this show for the last several months, I've had hardly anybody to come on and talk about exploration because there's so much excitement about operations and IoT and automation and 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 all of that that everybody's sort of clamoring. But but exploration is still a, a part of the business. So tell us like what is happening in the exploration world today and you know how is it shaping and changing? Because we know that the whole industry is in transition now. So what does that look like from the lens of you guys in the exploration world? Yeah, so, so maybe if I can kind of give our view on, on this this is all about, you know, exploration is role is to to find new new oil and, and gas accumulations. And then you have to go out and you have to develop it and you have to produce it and it has to meet a certain demand. And we are all, you know, this is an energy business, right? And we need to we need to always have a, a value case to so say we go out and we drill and it makes actually it creates value and a positive cash flow. And of course what we are looking at now is in the energy transition and it's it's happening is how do you optimize that type of activities? And I think that that's what's actually happening in, in the exploration world is you try to think about what are scenarios going out because how much oil do we really need in the future? And they're different. You, know, you can ask one person you know, how it is. Everyone will have a different opinion. But we have to work with certain assumptions. And, and, and on those assumptions, we then have to prepare our programs. And the way we, we see things is, is that during the 2030 decade, you know, there will be a gradual replacement. There will be momentum, of course, of other energy sources taking over what typically is conventional hydrocarbons. And we want to make sure that that we can, at the same time, grow other, other of these energy sectors. And that's one of Gulp's ambition is, is also to, to actually get involved in that. And Marco alluded to that previously. Mm-hmm. Now, from an expansion point of view, we are just very selective in what we are doing. Because if we if we find something and we explore now, we want to make sure that this can be on stream within a reasonable time frame to make sure it, it contributes in a positive sense to generate cash flow for the company. But also we also want to make sure that we, we are building within exploration also the skills to support other type of activities. Because if I come from a, let's say, if, if I take off my exploration hat and I put on my geoscience hat, I see a same type of activities taking place, and it doesn't really matter if it's looking for oil or gas, or is or if it or is it to address other needs of the industry. So, for example, anything which relates to subsurface, and this can be looking for oil or gas, or this can be looking for geological storage locations. So, for instance, you know, we all hear about CCSU or CO2 storage, but also Hydrogen, right, mm-hmm. can be a storage. The same type of subsurface work we do as well. It, it's you also need seismic, you know. <laughs> you also need to have reservoir characterization. So, so I think, in a more general sense, I think in exploration, we are just first of all learning about the opportunities which maybe alternative energy sources can give us. But also, when we do the conventional, what's called conventional exploration. We make sure that, that we choose the best projects only. And what, what, do you, what do you see if you look back? That is that the amount of wells which are being drilled are maybe not so 
abundant anymore as, as they were previously. But when they're being drilled, they're really gone through a certain really ri- rigorous thought process of saying that doesn't make sense to drill this well now. So cost consciousness, you know, the whole idea about be smart what you drill, that, that has really led to this kind of way of what I've seen the term the other day, it was called, you know, finding the valuable barrel. Yeah, that's what we need to do. That's our mandate. Yeah. You said a whole bunch of really good things in there that we should just unpack a little bit. First of all, it's interesting that, yeah, when we think about the new types of energy, sometimes people just automatically assume that that's something completely different from what all those oil and gas guys do, right? But in fact, there's a lot of, in terms of the science and the engineering that goes into it and processing, there's similarities. And it also makes me think of something that sometimes I say on some of these shows from time to time, which is, you know, if you are trying to solve the problem of finding a new way to power the world, why don't you start out by asking the people who figured it out how to do it in the first place? <laughs> because that group of folks has has solved this problem before. And I'll bet you, right, that they've got some good ideas about how to do it again, maybe with other forms of energy. And so that's what you're, what you're getting to, which is that, so there's two things. One is that these tools and techniques that we're developing now, which have amazing, you know, with the amazing computing abilities and artificial intelligence and all that, they're not just applicable to oil and gas. They could be used in these other areas. And then the other thing is one of the ways that, you know, this industry is in transition in two ways. It's the media is very focused on, and the stock market is very focused on the transition toward new energy. But there's another transition that we like that inside the industry are very aware of, which is, you know, which is what you said there at the end, which is kind of reshaping the portfolio and making sure that we're really extracting the most amount of value from the assets that we're working. And that requires flushing out the risk and making better decisions and doing things in a more in a way that fits the economics a lot better. So that's several episodes that we can cover (laughs) on all those topics. But let's kind of drop down, because I promised my friends at IBM that we would talk about this thing that you're doing. So with all of that as a backdrop, and to say that these technologies are still are very relevant, and they're compelling, and they're going to be used not only for traditional business, but for new business. What is this thing that you folks there have been working on with IBM. And let's talk about that. And what is it and what does it do? Hmm. So I can quickly start by giving a quick background on the tool. So basically, this idea started in 2015. So there's some time already on the development of this tool. And Galp has our D&I projects in Brazil that are funded by the Brazilian National Agency for Petroleum, Natural Gas and Biofuel. So basically, they are the Brazilian regulator that said that part of your production need to be applied to R&D. And that's a very good thing, actually. Right, right, right. And what we did was we started this collaboration with IBM, and this project so far was divided in two scopes of work. The first scope of work was, of course, the development of the tool. And the tool itself is artificial intelligence-based tool that works with three main modules and the objective of the tool is of course to assist the geoscientists or the seismic interpreters in order to take better informed decisions and facilitate the process because it's not uncommon that the geoscientists face themselves with the challenge of you know trying to bring meaning to some geometrical patterns that they see on the screen and then bring geological meaning to it so usually that's the the difficult part. Also, this meaning is brought by the expertise that each one of the geoscientists has, 
and also the experience depending on the years on the market, etc. What we tried to do was to actually develop a tool that not only would assist this interpretation process, would save a significant amount of time during the process itself, but it would also work on a cognitive point of view in order to collect all this knowledge that the interpreter has and, of course, can be very useful not only for the colleagues but for the entire industry itself. So I'm I'm, tem- <laughs> I'm tempted to go into a discussion about kind of the cultural implications of all that. And, you know, there's a lot of strong opinions and beliefs, but this is the tech show and we want to talk about your technology. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm only going to do that if we, if we run out of things to talk about, but so, so that's a good overview. So let's say I'm a geoscientist and I just heard you say that. And I say to myself, Oh, that's fantastic. I've been wanting to have this like <laughs> AI capability brought into my life. So I call you up and I say, I need one of those, Get, you know, send it to me right away. So now what happens? Like, what is my, what is my life as that geoscientist? How does it look and, wh- and what do I do? And, and how is it different maybe from what I did yesterday? Mm-hmm. That, yeah, anybody just. <laughs> yeah, no, sure, sure, sure. Uh, yeah. I was just trying to, to see maybe it might be. <laughs> It might be good to explain where we are and and, yeah. and how this whole thing came together, right? Sure, sure. Because then I can explain a little bit more about it. So, so this was actually an interesting project. First of all, Marco mentioned, you know, AMP, that is the national regulator in Brazil, basically allowed us to do this research project under the, the funding, and we got together with with IBM in in Brazil. We had a kickoff session with them. Say, okay, let's do something in artificial intelligence. <laughs> you know, this was like that. And we said, okay, well, let's let's try to think about what is our vision, right? About how do we want to use this tool? Because it's a tool. And how can it make our life easier? And Gulp had the industry knowledge. You know, we we do this work. We know how to do subsurface evaluation. And IBM had the artificial intelligence skills, the technology behind that. And and we had a, what we call a framing session. We got together. And we had a brainstorm session. And, and I, the first thing, actually, what we did is to say is explain to, to IBM how do we work? You know, how does a geoscientist work? And we explained them the whole idea that, that you start, you know, very early with what we call a basin analysis. So I'm talking here about the exploration phase. You know, we, we go out, look at big area and we say, OK, there, there is some maybe potential sweet spot here, regional. So we do regional work and then we see we home in and we say, oh, there's maybe a specific structure which can have oil. And then we, we home in and then we say, OK, let's let's find out how much oil could be in there. And then we, let's assess the risk of how much, you know, what's the risk of finding oil or not. And then we drill a well, we, we make a discovery. Then, of course, the next step is so actually how much oil have we found? So can we quantify that more? So you, you gradually go from a regional scale, you go to something, to a reservoir scale, right? Mm-hmm. So to, to explain a little bit the dimensions of the way we work, it, it's a spatial science at different dimensions. And we said that typically, you know, you, the workflow you, you define is you have an exploration phase, you make a discovery, then you have a development phase, and then you have a production phase. And we said, well, how can we apply this tool how can we cover the different maturation? You know, this is a value chain where you create. How can this tool support us in that? And then we mentioned that, okay, one key activity is seismic interpretation. That's what Marco mentioned about. We look at big amounts of data. These are seismic images. Can the tool help us to find certain images which are of interest to an explorer or to a petroleum engineer? 
And that's what we then defined to be a seismic facies analyst tool. So that was one case study we wanted to pursue. And that became one of the products, which is in the tool, which is called Geoscience Advisor. So the, the tool which we have developed, and it's a prototype, is called Geoscience Advisor. And there we have a module called seismic facies analysis. And then we said, so that's one thing, finding the geometry, right? Finding a carbonate reservoir mount. Then we said, okay, then typically you then also have the people who then look at this geometry and see, well, how, how big is, what is the quantity in that? What's the porosity? What is the saturation? And that was another use case. So we didn't say we need to then quantify what's there. We use, we start to use well-lock data to define the you know, porosity distribution so on. So, so that became another tool, which is we call physical property prediction. And that's another tool within this geoscience advisor. And then ultimately, and that covers essentially the discovery and development phase when you start to build your models, right? And prior to that, we also needed a tool to help us in the risk assessment. So when we want to drill a prospect, we usually have, you know, we say this usually has a probability of 20% or, or 30%. And the way we work is we assess these risks in peer reviews. But you also want to have a tool in place which helps you to say, how have other similar prospects being assessed in the risks? So that we have like a calibration in the risk assessment. So because we want to make sure that there's some sort of quality assurance going into the way we assess risks. And so there was a third module developed, which we call the general risk assessment. And that's the third component of the geoscience advisor. And that's what took us five years to develop to a prototype phase. And I think the one which, you know, we can typically, one can talk around, and, and this can be hours talking, as you can imagine, is on the this particular pattern recognition, the recognition of the seismic facies. Right. The whole point behind this is this whole thing with the cognitive recognition and the machine learning is that that we are training the system to recognize these patterns and that this knowledge is being captured in what we call a knowledge base. And this knowledge base is continuously being updated with training from by humans. So when we train a system, we are using actually the geologist's knowledge to say that this particular feature represents a carbonate mound or, or a turbidite or a, a reservoir, classic reservoir. And this interaction with the seismic and, and the human builds, continuously builds the knowledge base. And what we're saying here is that, for instance, if this is a very experienced senior explorer who actually has been trained the system and this person moves to another business unit, for instance, this knowledge is not lost. So we, we are actually capturing the geologist's knowledge right. in the database. Right. So over time, every company you know, builds its own knowledge. And in some way, you can think that if some companies are very good in very, some very particular hydrocarbon development, they do have some competitive knowledge, right? Because it's the people who actually work in there have put their knowledge into this database, this corporate database. And that's the actual the, the vision that we actually have an ability to retain knowledge of, of our staff. And at the same time, the more junior staff members can get advice from experienced people in some way, yeah. in a digital way. Yeah, that's actually, that's what I was just thinking as you were saying that is this gets into a whole nother subject, but you know, this crew change problem that we've been, has been looming for a long time and was predicted to have, like the original predictions, we would, we, we would be well past the crew, the great crew change by now, but 
unfortunately, the old crew has to keep hanging around <laughs> because the new crew, right? Because we don't have any way of, we haven't really figured out good ways of, of transferring that. So what you're saying is everything that's in the head of a 20 or 30 year experienced explorer, you know, can be captured in the machine learning. And now somebody from the new generation, you know, they can still benefit from that experience without having to spend 20 or 30 years, right, actually doing it, but they can still leverage that experience. That that part right there is, is phenomenal if it works like that. I mean, and, and that absolutely, and, like the, and that, that is the ultimate ambition of this, of this tool. The other advantage is in some ways also how it speeds up certain evaluations. So for instance, the way it's designed is that you get the new seismic data set, for instance. And I was just thinking here the other day in, in 2017, 18, we acquired 16,000 square kilometers of 3D seismic in the west coast of Africa. And that's a big data set. That's big. That's a lot. Yeah, that's huge. It took us about, you know, two years to interpret, right? Now, if you have the computing power and then you say, okay, I'm looking for specific features on the seismic data set, you know, a certain depositional sequence, a sand avalanche called the turbidite, right? then you could actually try to find that feature on the seismic line. And I say, okay, I, this is what I'm looking for. And you tell the system, find me more of this. Right. And, and it, will, it will scan the entire 3D seismic cube and pinpoint areas where it can be. It's not going to do the job for you. Okay, that's, that's very important. This tool is not replacing you, but it helps you. Mm. And so you can speed up your whole evaluation time. Yeah. Well, that's what I got out of. So listening to you kind of lay out and the three modules and the kind of the vision, it sounds like what you've done is you've taken something that is, if you t think about the life cycle or the whole progression of all the things that go, like you said, from early stage base and analysis, where you're trying to look at very large areas all the way through the whole thing down to where you're at the reservoir level and, and you're deciding where to drill, you're taking aim at the parts of that whole process that either take a lot of time or have a lot of uncertainty or both. And what you're doing is you're helping an explorer, a geoscientist, shorten the time and flush out some of the uncertainty so that you can you can get there faster and with more certainty about what it is you're doing, which plays nicely into the business strategy that companies need to pursue now. There's not as much, they don't have as much time and they can't spend money now and look for the payoff in, you know, way down the road and they can't make bad decisions, like no more dry holes, right? Or even not dry holes, but, but the ones that just aren't economic to develop. So, I mean, and Marco, you were, you're looking more from the business side of exploration is that kind of like is that basically the business case or the or the business objective of this tool is that's what you're, you're not trying to get rid of you're not trying to automate everything and get rid of geoscientists what you're trying to do is speed things up and flush out the uncertainty in these projects yes definitely mike no i, I don't want to get rid of geoscientists for sure I, i've been one for a long time and actually what roland said is so absolutely right and this was our key objective in the end was to optimize our resources and the funny thing is that during the development of the tool, and I had the luck to work technically in the tool as well, was we actually listened to the people on the different areas. We went to that's the a, That's a crazy so, idea. It you is. Listen to people. <laughs> because you, you actually go there and say, look, what you would really like to have in your pocket in order to assist you in improving your workflows. And it was 
actually everyone everyone within the exploration department was saying you know what our workflows take a lot of time so and that's difficult for us even to manage in in some cases so the new venture geologists the exploration geologists or the geologists working also on reservoirs all these geo scientists together they came across with this notion that we actually need an advisor that it's kind of a, a very old experienced geoscientist that is just standing there next to you saying, look, this is really good what you're doing, but you should actually also consider this or that scenario. This took a lot of time and it was very interactive. Luckily, the GALPS team, the exploration team, was very keen on providing information and coming up with ideas. And slowly, step by step, we actually created this prototype. In the end, we really want the prototype to, to enhance the workflows and allow everyone to, to take better informed decisions and especially faster decisions, definitely. Yeah, it's all becoming clear now. This is why you called it geoscience advisors, because ultimately, we're not just talking about another... I mean, you know, there have been AI modules and things built into all the commercial subsurface interpretation projects for a while. And they're, and they're, you know, so whatever, you know, whatever flavor you like, they all have these kinds of capabilities to help automate some of the interpretation process. And some people like what it produces and some people don't like what it produces. And so I use this module, but I don't use that one. And I only use this one when I have a thing over there. But what you're talking about isn't, this is more like a holistic solution that says once you, we've been using this thing for a while it's kind of like having that seasoned veteran standing there looking over your shoulder for the whole process right for the whole life cycle you've got that advisor there helping you through it not just a really cool algorithm that gets applied to one particular problem if i got that right that sounds fantastic that sounds like exactly what we need in the industry right now yeah and that's and that's basically it yeah, in the end because as roland also said you know, someone just change company or, for instance, just swap projects. It just comes from one project to another project and all that expertise. Of course, your colleague is right there on the next floor or something like that. But still, it's important that the expertise and the experience just stays there. And it things are much faster, so to speak, if you actually don't need to read all the report and actually have an advisor that can help you with that. So. That's a that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we have a generation of people in this. I mean, the industry, obviously, our the oil and gas industry goes back more than a hundred years. But the current generation, let's say, from like the like the sixties to now, the people that like like they were the ones who really, or the seventies, developed and worked out a lot of the the more modern ways that we have doing things at least for the last few decades. And so it's sort of like that generation was the first one to do things the way they were being done, right? They weren't they weren't really doing things the way they had they were the first ones to like to do things the way they're done now. And that generation would like to retire, right? And so they so they tried to retire and they and they said, "Okay, well fine, well we're retiring, but we're coming back as contractors and consultants, right?" And but eventually eventually we got to we got to figure out how to do this stuff without the person who's been doing it for 35 or 40 years. And so this could be a really exciting thing and something that can really, you know, that can really help. What are the, what are the plans? So it's Galps. I mean, it's your toy right now, right? But is your, is the intention to commercialize this and make it available to other folks? 
Yes, right now we are working on testing the tool. So as you can imagine, we, we have been testing the tool for for some time now internally. We are seeking and discussing with other companies the possibility to, to do external testing because, of course, we would like to have different points of view about the this sure. specific tool. Sure. And, of course, then one of the options is going to the market because we think that we really would like to see this tool adding value to the entire industry and being just present there. More than, you know, it's our baby and we would like it to have a strong contribution in the industry. Well, it's like, you know, I don't know if it's the same way in Portugal, but here in the US, your grandmother, whenever you ask her for that cookie recipe, she never really gives you like all the, the whole <laughs> thing. <laughs> you, yeah. you, only, you only ever really get part of it. <laughs> so, so we're getting kind of close to time here. I think I did want to come back to, and I think Roland, you were the one early on who mentioned the applicability of this to new energy and renewables and things like that. Is there anything that we want to comment on there as far as what does it mean to that world and how can it have an impact? No, I want to say before, I think, is that the core skills we have in the EMP industry is is equally yeah, applicable to right. new energies when it relates to subsurface evaluation. Right. And, That's and, right, so, yeah. and so this is a very universal tool. Geology doesn't change necessarily depending on, on, the, on the type of industry you're pursuing. So that is the strength. This is a, a general tool. And you can, you know, if it helps you to speed up your work, if you can access information, you can share information, you know, across the globe, you know, it's a great support, I think, for what we're doing in general. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's the it, vision we have to have. Yeah. Right. It's worth noting that several forms of new energy also involve subsurface, right, activities. And as you mentioned before, geothermal and, and hydrogen. And you mentioned something too. I think you didn't, one of you said something about wind. And that was curious to me because like, how, how does this factor into something like wind? How could, because that's, that's fascinating. Or am I remembering wrong? <laughs> We'll take this part out later. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. Because I think the tool, the tool, the way you work is exactly the same. I mean, I could even imagine this tool because anything, imagine that, anything which has is three-dimensional three data set oh, can, sure. can, yeah, can yeah. actually be, be used. So, so yeah, we can yeah. go with it. It doesn't have to be step. underground, right? No, yeah, no. It course. just needs yeah, to be yeah. three, three dimensions and, and you have maybe certain patterns you want to recognize and say certain patterns are quite important to me. Find me more of those. So, I mean, I'm not a wind, wind energy expert, but I can imagine maybe certain certain streams might be mm -hmm. important. And the no, timing. That's very, that, so. that's very true. Right, right. I mean, so when you abstract this, what you're doing is, you know, you're you're looking for patterns and you're capturing that, you know, what, what those things mean. You're capturing that knowledge. You're making it usable to people in the future. So all of that is a template for a lot of goodness. And, and maybe... maybe yeah, maybe the, on, the only thing maybe I can explain is a little bit, so how does the human come into this, right? How, how does the human teach? Because what is different here is that this is not a cat and a, and a dog training. This is not brute force. We have millions of, of images you train. This is really, actually, we do have actually limited data set because, you know, the data is big, but, you know, the features we look at, they're not, you know, millions. So this is very much where you actually are looking at an image and you say, this is it, and then I... And then when the, the system comes back to me with a suggestion, I will then say, yes, I agree with what you, what you suggested me, or I, I say, I don't agree. And that's the way you train the system. And that's where I think I would like to, that you bring in the experience of the person. And that's the way you retain the experience of someone who has maybe been with the industry for many years and, and knows what's important to emphasize. Right. 
Right. Yeah, that's good. We did it. We actually did a, just yesterday, we, OGGN, we did a live stream event with a panel talking about AI and, and machine learning and oil and gas, more just in general. And we had a good discussion sponsored by our friends over there at NVIDIA. And we talked a lot about those things and about bringing the people and the technology together to do things. Because everybody just automatically thinks, oh, this is just to get rid of the humans. But, you know, if you're the person who's on the hook to say, this is what we should do and this is where we ought to do it, that's a lot of weight on your shoulders. And if you can, if you, if you can benefit from something like this, right, like then that can actually be good news, right? You're not risking, you're not using as much of the company's money. You're not risking, you're not taking as big of a risk and things like that. It's just about our way of thinking and our mental framework as we approach these things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah, yeah. So, so okay, Roland and Marco, I really appreciate you guys making time today. I know it's getting late there in Lisbon. It's something like 8 p.m. I 8 believe. PM, yeah. 8 p.m. So, so I'm sure, which is like almost dinner time for you, right? Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, like here in the U.S., we would have eaten, we would have eaten dinner long ago, and we'd already be like <laughs> vegging out in front of the television. But you guys are just are just getting going. So I'll let you head off to that, and I appreciate you guys being on the show today. Just real quick, if anybody wants to learn more about this project, more about you guys and the company, where should they look? Oh, so about company, just go to Galp, G-A-L-P.com. All the information there, you can find even our innovation uh, projects there. And also a mention to this project is also available. And of course, at Galp's LinkedIn, where we put the most recent news all together. And it's also very good to follow Galp. Excellent. Excellent. And I know I'm pretty sure that IBM is planning on putting some, some information out about this as well. So we will put all of that as usual in the show notes so that people can reference it. And so thank you guys again. I appreciate you being here. I just want to wrap up with a couple of more, the usual things that I need to say, which is thanks to our sponsor, Cognite. And, you know, if you're not, if you haven't taken a look at what Cognite is doing, you, you really need to. Here's what they would like you to know. I'll tell you, this is what Cognite would like you to think about and maybe ponder. Imagine your company fully digitalized, transformed, and sustainable. Cognite helps you make data do more for faster, safer, more sustainable industrial operations. So it's a very nicely crafted sentence, but I can tell you that behind that is some great stuff that they're doing. Also, I want to mention that our street team, the OGGN street team is in action. They are doing stuff and, and they're under new management, so to speak. We've got a new guy leading the street team, Mr. Brian Mon, and I think I'm going to, I'm going to refer to him as the ever sleepless and hungry Brian Mon. And uh, if you're curious about why I say that, then take a look at his LinkedIn profile. That's M-A-H-N is his last name. And he's leading the street team. He's got a bunch of ideas. Mr. Warren Spiewak is still in the family here at OGGN. He did a great job with the street team for a long time, but he's now working on some other interesting things that you probably hear about later. So check out the street team, get involved, do stuff. It's fun. Also, you can connect with OGGN uh, on all the usual social spots and especially on our website, which is where you can sign up for the mailing list. And I know mailing lists sound a little bit old fashioned, but we have a lot going on. And as I mentioned before, we got new live streams, we got new podcasts, we and we're getting back into the live events business. So you want to keep an eye on that. And speaking of live events, if you would like to bring the magic of this podcast to your own events, we can do that. This It all packs up. We can go somewhere. We can set up and we can do a, a podcast 
at a company event, you know, maybe, I don't know, at your wedding, whatever it is, whatever it is you want us to do a podcast, we can show up and do that. And it's a lot, it's always a lot of fun. People really enjoy it. Last couple notes, as always, thanks to our audio wizard, Mr. Amon Fikic, who is there in the magical land of Bosnia. He makes us all sound great. He handles all the editing for all of this, for all the OGGM podcasts. And I don't know what we would do without him. And now here is Savannah, who will tell you about the events on deck. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for April 2021. This month, we have three events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our in-person event, which is the Spring Pitch Party focused on clean tech. It'll be hosted at the Canon on April 6th. Next, we have our two online events, the University of Houston PES Career Fair on April 8th and the CSPG GeoWomen eTalk on April 20th. Other than these events, OGGN may be hosting some more live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or OGGN.com for more information about any of the live streams or events we have coming up. If you have any questions about these events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for April. I hope you guys have a great month, and thanks for tuning in. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.